five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. podcast on the internet well i do know how to stop i just stopped that video peter gabriel no self-control kind of the th- kind of a theme for today's show actually i'm joined today by the uh, astrological cat just as you know and uh behind me i have an image of jim starenko he's you know not quite jack kirby but He's pretty darn close. And uh, it's kind of a comic theme. Kind of a comic theme this week. I think we'll, we'll be in comic theme mode for the uh, covers and um, the backgrounds of the, the uh, thumbnails in the background. In fact, I even changed the thumbnail for yesterday's show. The bitch slap her around the world. You guys might have seen it. It was inspired by Batman yesterday and uh, the uh, the Batman <laughs> clip, which is freaking hilarious. So here, I'll show you the, uh, the new thumbnail. So that's the new thumbnail from uh, yesterday's show. Welcome to the uh, Tuesday edition. 329, 15 Minutes of Flame. I'm Robert Phoenix. And if you are watching this, you are over on 15minutesofflame.com, which is where we gather and convene from 9-11 to 10-41, Monday through Thursday for now. And uh, if you're listening on the podcast side of things, thank you for doing that. This uh, show is distributed across a number of different platforms and networks, including iTunes, Apple Music, uh, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podchaser. So there's a number of different ways that you can experience this podcast, both visually and through audio. I also have been posting shows over on Rumble as well. And I carved out a Rumble channel before it was just looking for my videos. But now that I have a channel, it's easier to find them. Anyway, that's from uh, yesterday's show. And um, again, if you're listening and not looking at it, there's a there's a pretty famous meme of Batman slapping Robin. And so I stuck Will Smith's head on there, put a little mask on him and then put a comic book speech balloon. It's just my fingers. Take it like a bro. 
I need my man card back. And there's some of that there. Now, there's a big debate as to whether or not it was scripted or whether it was spontaneous. Jason Whitlock doesn't believe it's scripted. Colin Cowherd, who, whose opinion I really don't give two fucks about, um, he thinks that it was scripted, not, not scripted. And it's, it's kind of weird, right? Because a lot of people think that Chris Rock didn't act like somebody who was being assaulted. And he was assaulted. I mean, if you really, really want to break it down, he was assaulted. Will Smith, whether it was scripted or not, he assaulted him in front of millions of people. And when that happens, okay, so some people would say, well, he didn't back up, right? He did not back up. He didn't defend himself. There's no security. Nobody stopped Will Smith. So what's that all about? I, I, I will tell you that when most of us live in a bubble and we're not prepared for what happens when somebody pricks the bubble. Neurolinguistic programming is based on that moment. Right? They, they, with neurolinguistic programming, they want, to, they want to prick your bubble. And they also want to be able to put an anchor in. They want to put a thought in. So neurolinguistic programming has some, some connection to trauma-based programming, but it's not that traumatic. Most people walk around in a trance. And that's clear. So when somebody in that moment, like Will Smith approaches Chris Rock, it would not be unusual for Chris Rock to stand there and be like a deer in the headlights instead of what are you doing? Sit back down. So I'm, I'm giving the other side of the it's scripted moment, a little bit of, a little bit of traction here. Because how many times has somebody done something to you when you didn't expect it in public, usually, sometimes in private, but mostly in public, and you just don't know how to respond? You just kind of stand there or you kind of fumble for words. And it's, and it's because we are on automatic pilot most of the time. And then when somebody comes into that space, we don't know exactly what to do, which means we're really not in the moment. So it's not unusual for somebody like Chris Rock to have that kind of experience. I think it's probably reasonable in some ways. And then what happens after that is he goes up and he, and he, and he smacks Chris Rock. We're back at the scene of the crime. But he only does it with his fingertips. And we replayed that. It's so funny. It's like the, the good thing about doing the show in the morning, even though there's a limited amount of people that watch this, but I get ahead a little bit of the news cycle. Remember yesterday I talked about Don Rickles and how he used to insult everybody. He was trending on Twitter after that. He was totally trending on Twitter after that. Which was, which was great. 
felt like, Hey, look, I got ahead of the, I got ahead of the hashtag because Don Rickles was the king of insults. Okay. So there's that, right? There's that. Uh, and then Chris Rock comes out and after he gets slapped, his face is kind of sideways. Like he did get slapped. Now did Will Smith bring the entirety of his palm? No, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. If he had done that, he might've broken Chris Rock's jaw. So he just hits him with the fingertips. We saw that yesterday. And I started to talk about it as the Zabruder film, the new Zabruder film. And sure enough, that's how people are talking about it. Like, it's not like I'm a prophet or anything. It's just that these things are easy to figure out. They're just all kind of in the collective stew. And it's just another ingredient. And then Chris Rock's face is sideways after. It's like, what the fuck is that? I mean, really, his face looks sideways. So I think he did experience some physical um, contact. And then what happens afterward is kind of telling in some ways. So Chris Rock is discombobulated. He can't, he's trying to talk about this documentary award. I'm sure, I'm sure it went to a film that, uh, that uh, recounted the Holocaust for every year for a long time. If you had a documentary about the Holocaust, you were getting an Oscar. You had a very good chance you had a very, very good chance of getting into the Oscars or the Academy Awards and winning an Oscar if you had a documentary about the Holocaust. I'm just being honest. So he kind of fucks that up. And then you hear Will Smith. Keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. Keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. Keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. And when, I, when I listen to him, he sounds angry. Like, I don't think there's any acting going on. He's angry. And none of that happened until Jada. I love it. Shamika Michelle called her Jada Bell. <laughs> like Jezebel. <laughs> She's fucking brilliant. Anyway. Nothing happened until Jada looked sideways. And well, they were all laughing at the joke. They all thought it was funny. And then she stopped laughing. And she's like, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that, Will? Yeah. His handler triggered him. That's when he went up there. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today we're gonna we're gonna revisit the scene of the crime there's a lot going on in the world i mean truly russia has just told europe if you want to buy oil from us you got to buy it in rubles and they attached the whatever whatever gold reserves they have to their ruble so you either need to buy rubles which are attached to gold or you need to buy gold and then give it to the russians Now, I may be in the minority here because a lot of people believe that Russia is doing and Putin are doing the work of God. I believe that Russia is doing the work of the World Economic Forum. 
I know I'm alone. I'm not, I'm a minority in this position, but that's what I think. I think their job is to destroy America and they're doing a great job. And they have a, uh, depends Joe in there who is just playing right along with it. So Russia, my estimation is doing Klaus Schwab's work. And the whole idea here is to bring the American system down and they're going to do it without firing a single shot against an American, which they always said that they would do. And I'm not here to demonize the Russian people. Okay, I am a clear advocate of there's the people and then there's their government. So I'm not here to demonize Russian people. Even a country that I don't really speak highly of, one of our friends in the Middle East, I'm not here to demonize their people. But at one point, are the people complicit? in the system that they codependently sign off on. How complicit are you and I? Because we're all complicit to some level. If I had to look myself in the mirror and ask myself, well, how complicit are you? I could look myself in the mirror around that. Because I've done as much as I can personally to do something to counter the inertia, the entropy. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I, I'm doing what I can. Just one, one person. That said, you know, I'm still, still part of this collective, which is, supported regime changes and the plunder of different countries, their, their resources. And yet I never said, go for it. I didn't put my signature on the line and neither did you. And if we had any kind of a choice or had any kind of say or stake in the game, it probably wouldn't look like it. It does now. I, I remember back during 9-11. It was so frustrating because I knew that it was a bunch of shit. And I knew exactly what they were doing. And the mood and the tone of the populace was, well, Gollum-like. We're going to talk about the Gollum today. It's very important. I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Now Will Smith has given me the opportunity to talk about it. So I would call into radio talk shows and I would try to get my point across and nobody would really listen to me because they were all hyped up on what had happened and Americans were just out for blood and vengeance. And at that point, yeah, you're complicit. You emotionally co-signed for what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, was it your fault <laughs> because you were manipulated? Is it a child's fault when their parents set up a very strange and complex uh, series of rules of order to manipulate the child, it, which can get very weird? 
I remember when I was a kid, there was this family that lived around the corner from me, the Carltons. And the Carltons were about as close as what I would call white trash that lived in our neighborhood. And um, the oldest son, Ronald, was about my age. And he was one of these kids that was just weird, right? Like, as a kid, you just know what, when the, who the weird kids are. I was a weird kid, but I wasn't as weird as Ronald. R- Ronald was kind of dysfunctionally weird. You, you know, it's like, you want, I mean, as a kid, I would have these moments where like, and I wouldn't really articulate it this way. Can I redeem this kid's weirdness? Meaning, you know, can I not participate in, in the way that everybody else is treating this kid? I would have those moments. And most of the time, I could, you know, enter into that space and not be the same as the other kids who were labeling and piling. I, I, I didn't do that. But sometimes, <clears throat> because of the ways, the way that the kid's internal matrix is set up, you had no other option, right? You either had to relate to that kid at that level, or you just had to pull away. Because every attempt to deal with that kid as somebody who wasn't the definition of what the majority peer group said they were, which meant that they would be picked on in the pecking order, they would just automatically respond like that. Oh, it's like, fuck, don't you understand? I'm trying to deal with you as just a regular kid and you're on a fucking script. And I, and I know that now I couldn't articulate it then, but it was like the program was, was really embedded and deep and running in that by that time. And Ronald was like that. So when I say that he was as close to white trash as, as you could get, what I mean by that is that his, he was, he, they had hillbilly roots and they lived in a, you know, I have hillbilly roots too. Don't get me wrong. My father was born in uh, Louisiana, Shreveport, or as my grandmother would say, Shreveport. She did the same thing with, with shrimp, shrimp, Shreveport and shrimp. I don't know. It's a weird affectation. Anyway, so, you know, my father, is a, my father was born as a redneck. Theoretically, he's a cracker. So I'm a son of a cracker. But... Ronald and his family were a little more cracker barrel. Like my father had some je ne sais quoi for a guy who never finished high school. He was really smart. He read Shakespeare. He read a ton of books. He was, you know, he was obsessed with proving that he was not just kind of a regular Joe. So he would go and take these battery tests. And one of the tests, um, gave him the, the the score of somebody who had like a master's level degree in college, even though he never graduated from high school, dropped out after his sophomore year, joined the military as literally a junior in high school. But Mr. Carlson wasn't like that. I can tell you that right now. So they had a little band there and they would play country and Western music. And he played a, a steel guitar. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. I think I went over there one time and watched him in the backyard playing steel guitar. But Mr. Carlson was nuts. 
And he, at one point, he uh, held his family at gunpoint. I don't know how we found out, but we found out. And then later, later, his wife actually shot him. It's just right around the corner from my house. His wife shot him. She wounded him. And then that was it for the Carlson family in our neighborhood. Gone. So Ronald was programmed. He was programmed. We're all programmed. We're all programmed based on some degree of trauma. And the holding the family hostage at gunpoint and, and the, the, and by the way, those two events did not happen at the same time. Like later on, his wife shot him. He lived, but his wife shot him. And then they left. Those are the only things we heard about. Imagine what went on inside that house. You see, so I'm trying to paint a picture about how people are programmed and how they're just in a trance and the, the social media and the, 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 the technology keeps people in a trance. So was Chris Rock in a trance when he was on that stage? I would say he was because mostly we're all in a trance. And when, when somebody punctures that, that third wall or the fifth wall, rather, so one, two, three, four, well, on stage, it's the fourth wall. So Will Smith punctured the fourth wall. Was Chris Rock ready for that? I don't, I don't know. Probably not. What's interesting, I, and I uh, pointed this out yesterday. This is really weird. Before I do that, let me get into Chatlandia. Let me just, I don't want to go too long without recognizing the absolute best, most winningest chat room on the intranets. Roll call. Thomas Jordan. There's Kelly B. Queen Lisa. Wendy says, hi, Wendy. Wendy, is this Wendy Quintana? If, if Wendy, if that's you, I keep running into a problem with your email address. I'm sorry if I'm saying your name publicly. I apologize. Uh, there's my man, Ryan. What's going on, Ryan? Love you back, Wendy. Sony. Standard Oil of New York checking in. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? A lot of love in the chat this morning. Double K, Catherine Kramer. Hi, Catherine. Good to see you here. CC Jones, my girlfriend. Thor at the door. There is Steve. Uh, I think the Krimis are going to be on with us on Friday. Rue 9, love Salisbury Hill. Who doesn't love that song? Man, Robin, that's a great song. It's just, God, it's a redemption of the father-son relationship. We're in clown world, so might well be in comic book world. I agree with that. We got a comic book theme this week. Tay greetings back at you. Southern Colorado checking in. Kylie, hi, Kylie M. Beth Berry. What else do we have? Anybody else new here? Tay Oh, let's see. Since when did black women stop wearing wigs? You know, that's a really good point. It's like, Somebody pointed that out. Who, who's, who pointed that out? It was, um, it's like, that's the perfect opportunity for her to wear a wig. My God. You're absolutely right. 
Oh, let's see who else do we have here. Anybody new? Anybody new? Anybody new? Anybody new? Anybody new? Anybody new? I think we're all present accounted for. Empath. Yeah, nobody's censoring you, Empath. It's just they've got weird filters here. I don't, I don't, I have no, I have no uh, control. I have no self-control over the chat. Um, so I'm going to try to see what I can do about that. I'm a redneck by way of my upstate New York. My father literally had a redneck. What's going on, Michael? Good to see you. Meta Medi. Hey, what's up, Jake? Okay. Who else do we have? Is that it? I think we're here. Present and accounted for. All right. Let's jump into the uh, the topic of this. So, which, okay. The high strange. Let me show you the high strange. And man, is there some freaking high strange around this thing. By the way, that Peter Gabriel song, which is off, I think, Peter Gabriel 3, also known as Melt, there, there's not one symbol used on that track or on any of those tracks. Not one symbol. It's all drums. That's what Peter Gabriel wanted. Okay, this is what I wanted to put up here. This is weird. No self-control. All right, there. Here we go. All right. This is from my tweet. So this is the weird doppelganger effect. Juwan Howard and Will Smith have the double thing. You look, at, look at Juwan Howard. He's the coach of the uh, uh, University of Michigan basketball team, the Wolverines. Is that what they are? Uh, and that's a comic book character, by the way. And then you have Will Smith right next to him. Are they not doppelgangers? Look at those faces. So I thought that was interesting. I'm like, okay, what did Jawan Howard do recently? Well, he was in the news for putting his hands on not one, but two coaches, one in the handshake line. And then after the handshake line where he slapped an assistant coach from the university of Wisconsin. So Juwan Howard had his little slap moment. Will Smith had his slap moment. They looked like they were hatched out of the same test tube. Weird, right? This all happens within the last two months. And then I looked up Juwan Howard's birth date. He was born on the 7th of February, which is the same birth date as Chris Rock. They have different years. Chris Rock is older than Juwan Howard, but they share the same Aquarian birth date. And, and when all this happened, the moon was in Aquarius. So it would be shocking. Weird, right? Very weird. It's just another layer of this high strange moment. 
that we have going on right now. Look, Captain America is, he's in trouble behind me. He's in real trouble. But he's going to make it. He's fighting Hydra. You see the H right there on the Hydra uniform? See that? Suddenly, before the startled eyes of Captain America and the youthful Rick Jones, also known as Bucky, a strange and savage army costumed in Craven seems to spring to life from the murky shadows and hidden crevices in the deadly, merciless attack as only the hordes of Hydra can muster. Cut off one head and there's six more. Okay, let's get into the topic of today's show, which is the Golem. Now, I used another comic book on the uh, thumbnail for the image for today's show. And there it is right there. So this is from Weird War. This was a, a Disney series. Not Disney, I'm sorry, DC. And uh, this is from probably Silver Age of Comics, 20 cents a comic. I remember this. I, I might have even owned this uh, this copy. I sold all my comic books. Sort of bummed that I did, actually. Anyway, you can see here that this golem, this is a golem, and the golem has been unleashed on the Nazis. I'm not necessarily here to typecast or stereotype. But I am here to point out stark similarities. Look at the golem here. What does the golem look like? The golem looks decidedly black. Like that could be a guy that could play defensive lineman in the NFL, right? Defensive tackle in the NFL. Linebacker. And, and, I'm, and I'm not making this connection to uh, deride the, the previous uh, example. But the golem also looks like a gorilla. And again, I'm not saying that the two are connected here. I'm just looking at the image uh, and I'm being honest. And if you're looking at the image and some of you will be and are, you would agree with me. So why is this? Why did the artists of weird war tales decide to cast the golem as something decidedly black looking? It's an interesting question. So what is a golem? We've talked about this before. A golem comes out of a Kabbalistic tradition. And it is something that is related to creating almost like a Frankenstein monster. The golem is created out of clay. Taurus, the stuff of the earth. 
And then the master capitalist breathes life into the column. Spirit, right? Breath. And then it animates the golem. And then the golem goes out and it does the bidding of the cabalistic mage so that the, so that the golem can eliminate the enemies of the cabalistic mage. And those enemies would theoretically also be the enemies of the greater whole or the group or the tribe or the religion in and of itself. So the idea would be create a golem to eliminate the critics of that group, to create the golem so that it can eliminate the uh, claims associated with that group, anti-Semitic claims. Okay. That's what the golem is about. I'm not sugarcoating it. It comes out of tradition, and that's what it's supposed to do. Frankenstein was the telling of a modern golem tale. It's what Mary, Mary Shelley was writing about. And that's what Frankenstein does. He, you know, he wreaks havoc on the population. But of course, he's a gentle giant. The golem ultimately has a really good heart, even though he has no heart, because Frankenstein doesn't really have a heart. He's dead and then brought back to life. So this is what happens with the golem, and I've talked about it before. The golem winds up once the supposed enemies of the creator of the golem are eliminated. The golem doesn't stop. You can't bring it back on the golem app. It's loose. And then it starts to destroy other things. I mean, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while, and, and it's, it's been on my radar. And now I have a chance to talk about it. Before I go into any more uh, analogies, I just want to show you some other examples of the golem in comic book land. I mean, they even had a, 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 a comic devoted to the Gollum. See that? There's a Gollum comic book. The Gollum is superhero. The Gollum walks among us. There's this one really interesting image. Let me see if I can find it again. Where the golem has an inscription on his forehead in three Hebraic characters. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time. The Hulk is kind of a golem-like character, but he's able to return to his Bruce Bannon-like state. So it's not like he's fully and totally out of control. 
Okay, if I find it again, I'll I'll try to try to bring it on to tomorrow's show. Dargollum. So you have an understanding of what the golem is like in what tradition uh, the golem comes out of. You know, here we go. Here's the golem, and it's connected to uh, fighting the Nazis. You'll see this in a lot of the the golem depictions of of the golem in comic bookdom. What is this? The golem's mighty swing. James Stern. What is this? Interesting. Okay. So how and when and where did the golem get created? The one that we're currently dealing with. And I'm going to, I'm going to link the golem to a very specific social phenomenon. And I'm just here to bear witness to it that the golem that was created was created when Trayvon Martin was killed. That was the beginning of the creation of the golem. Because that is when the quote unquote powers that be began to manipulate the masses, and in particular, one group of people. Trayvon Martin was born on February 5th. That's um, within a two-degree orb of Chris Rock and Juwan Howard. So there's an Aquarian component to Trayvon Martin. And Trayvon Martin was the beginning of the creation of the Golem. They they breathed the spirit, right? So what happens when theoretically the breath of life is breathed into the clay representation of the Golem? It becomes animated. And what is one of the uh, root words of animated and this other word it's animus and animus means you got a beef you got an issue right we get the word animosity out of the root word animus and those feelings of animosity and animus are connected to animation and animation is connected to something that's set into motion and it's set into motion by what emotion. And so what we've seen is we've seen this emotional electrification of a particular group. And the whole thing with Trayvon Martin was completely disingenuous. And you saw it from the jump where they just showed these pictures of this little boy and he, Oh, what a sweet little boy. Trayvon Martin was a thug. He was a thug. He was a bad kid. Sorry to break the news. And he beat the living fuck out of George Zimmer. 
right? Isn't that his name, George Zimmer or George Zimmerman? Beat the fuck out of him. He had blood all over his face. So Trayvon Martin was not a good kid. He was a bad seed. Could he have been a better seed later on? I don't know. Maybe. But the depiction of Trayvon Martin by the media doesn't match the profile of Trayvon. So we're being lied to. And there's deception around the whole event. And what does it do? The breath of the um, malefic spirit is breathed into a particular group. In a group with allies, obviously. And now all of a sudden, it's clear that we're in a, we're in a period of time that vengeance is being cultivated. Now, prior to this, this is a, there, there are two other events that are really important prior to the Trayvon Martin event. The first one is Rodney King. And Rodney King was a direct effort to stir this animus up, to inject the malefic spirit into a group. And it wasn't wholly successful, although I'm sure they got a fair amount of uh, data and metrics out of that whole thing that they needed. There were riots. Some of them were really bad in LA. But that was the first sort of spark of the match. The second one, and the one that I think is even, uh, it's an event that not a lot of people talk about in terms of how things would eventually get played out. And that is OJ Simpson. And OJ Simpson theoretically getting away with the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson. It, it became identified as a racial event. And Johnny Cochran, you know, the, uh, the black lawyer representing OJ Simpson, right, gets him off. In the background, apparently, of Marsha Clark and Chris Darden, again, you're looking at this weird, you know, what, what was that about? She's white, he's black, right? That's another kind of model that in the days, months, and years to come would become prevalent, okay? And again, I, I don't care if you love somebody and you've got a different color to your skin. I really don't care about that. You know, I mean, it, it, it happens, right? That's the nature of love. You can't, you can't always dictate who you're going to love. It's the way it is. And I support that. If you want to love somebody outside of your zip code, by all means, just make sure that the other person is in the same state. And that's, I'm going to same state, just make sure it's reciprocal and even, and you're, you know, two people can do that. And, you know, that's what they're drawn to. And they can be happy and raise a successful family and kids. I don't care, right? I'm not, a, I'm not about that. What I am about is the programming. And that was the beginning of the programming. And apparently, 
Chris Darden and Marsha Clark supposedly had an affair. But it's this idea that OJ gets off. And I've talked about this before. And it's like Hannibal Lecter at the end of Silence of the Lambs goes free. He's out there somewhere. with his um, human anatomy cookbook. So the OJ thing is important because it sets the stage of somebody getting away with murder. And it's not just any somebody. You know, Klaus Barbie probably got got away with murder. That was the guy that Dershowitz got off. But nobody really cares about him. Is that Klaus Barbie? Klaus is, um, hold on a second. I'm getting my Klauses mixed up. I hate it when I'm wrong. Let's see. Klaus von Bülow. Klaus Barbie was a Nazi worm criminal. Klaus von Bülow, Sonny von Bülow, that was, he got away with it. Robert Blake probably got away with murdering his wife. But we're not, re- we're not really thinking about them, especially Von Bulow, because he's just got money. But in terms of O.J. Simpson, to me, that is the initial breath into this column. And and again, I'm going to say some things here that you may or may not agree with, but that's when a certain group began to identify with the fact that theoretically they could get away with murder because that's really what was being sent. That's the message that was being sent that O.J. Simpson could get away with murder and, well, gee, maybe I can too. At least subliminally, right? Then we get into Trayvon Martin. And the interesting thing about Trayvon Martin is that, again, theoretically, and I do believe Trayvon Martin was killed, sacrificed, right? It happens in 2012, this year that where everything is supposed to flip. It happens early in 2012, uh, February 26th, 2012. So once Trayvon Martin occurs, remember now, it's about Martin, Mars, initiation, violence. And Trayvon Martin is an Aquarian. So it's revolutionary. And that sets the stage for what happens with Michael Brown in Missouri, Ferguson, and Freddie Gray, and all these other victims of either racial profiling and or uh, homicide at the hands of police officers. I don't know if Michael Michael Brown is is dead. The whole thing is weird. And I I remember 
I had Kyrie Love come on my uh, podcast right after that. And Kyrie is a Mason. And he talked about that maybe the cop, whom I believe was what, uh, Wilson? His name is Darren Wilson. Isn't it interesting that you would have two Darrens? Like, was it Derek? Derek. Derek Chauvin. Darren Wilson. Darren Wilson. Kair was intimated that Darren Wilson was a Mason. He was intimating that. So he might have known something. So if Darren Wilson was a Mason, I think a lot of cops are Masons, by the way, that maybe something else was going on there. That it wasn't really the thing that they said it was and how it happened and the way they said it happened. But for the sake of historical reference, let's say it did. You have all these other events that happened during Obama. And Obama doesn't do anything. He doesn't condemn them. And in fact, by not condemning them, he condones them. And then out of that, you have Black Lives Matter being born. That's, and it's all strategic. It's not, it's not like a, a, a group of concerned women in the Seattle area decide that all of a sudden they can't take it anymore. No, they're astroturf. They're trained. They're trained social Marxists. And they're trained into, in how to um, be confrontational. And I remember seeing some of the first Black Lives Matter videos where they were in cafes in Seattle and they were being really aggressive and confrontational. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And then it spread. D. Ray McKesson, who was one of the major foot soldiers for Black Lives Matter, was at the Obama White House a number of times. So he was in there essentially discussing strategy with the Obama administration. And what are they doing? They're creating a golem. They are animating a group of people and animating them with the spirit of animus to take care of their enemies. And who are their enemies? Well, their enemies are, in general, Western civilization, Western Christian civilization. And by the way, I refuse to use the word Judeo-Christian when it comes to that. I listen to Jason Whitlock and Royce White and um, Dave Shannon, and I love those guys, but they always use Judeo-Christian. It's like, drop the Judeo part. It's Christian. Judeo and Christian have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, they may have the Old Testament and the Torah in, in common, but guess what? The Epic of Gilgamesh does too. And I'm not hearing uh, Sumero-Christian or Anu-Christian. So this is what's happening, right? This is how this whole thing starts. And the, this, this spirit of animus is breathed into a group that has grievance. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget this. After the whole 
I think it might have been Trayvon Martin. Maybe it was Michael Brown because Michael Brown doesn't happen that long after Trayvon Martin. And I was I was close to a number of astrologers who were in the quote unquote black astrology community and a lot of really good astrologers actually. And I've told this story before, you know, I'd be on their shows and they'd be on my show. And yeah, it was a really interesting time an interesting experience. I mentioned Kair Love, Kair and I would get on and we would, you know, that, that there was no Zoom, we had Skype and we had Skype and we talked for hours. I really liked Kair, he's an interesting character. He'd been to prison, um, was doing his best to find a niche in the astrological world, the health and healing world and, you know, be of service and benefit to his community. I never held it against him. He was a Mason, but that's how that world was. And it was mutually supportive. I didn't always agree with some of their methodologies, but it was mutually supportive. And it was interesting. I learned from some of these guys and women for that matter. I used to have Sister Myra on my show. And she was a trip. She was one of the first people that broke down the symbolism of Super Bowls. I had her on my show a couple of times. I really liked her. <laughs> um, what did she call the, the Packers? The Green Bay Fudge Packers? <laughs> that was hilarious. And there were people that were, oh my God. She's homophobic. <laughs> I thought she was hilarious. Anyway, right after, I think it was the, the, the Michael Brown thing, everything turned. And they were like, we got to get weapons. We got to weapon up. And they, they got radicalized real fast. Like, it didn't take long for the spirit of the golem to kick in. I'm sorry. Not everybody got affected by it. I'm just being honest here. And, and it has been perpetuated, and it, it has been turned on the American populace. And we're seeing that now. In this whole grievance culture and this rush to promote uh, racism and systemic racism and everything that goes along with it is the fuel line for the golem. And when you look at somebody like Juwan Howard and Will Smith, even though they make a shit ton of money, even though they're very well established and have connections with what I would call the corridors of privilege and power, which for all intents and purposes tend to be white, although a number of those people in that group would never identify themselves as such if you really sat down and overheard one of their conversations in private. But those are the people that at a high level they commiserate with, the people that pay their salaries, the people that write the scripts and fund the movies for the studios that they're connected with. And yet, 
with all of their money, with all their exaltation, with, with all of their so-called social privilege, they're out of control. Jawan Howard was out of control. And Will Smith, I'm going to say, he was out of control. Whether you believe it was staged or not, he was out of control. And when he starts to, to curse at Chris Rock, to me, that's not acting. I know when somebody is pissed. Now, did he get activated when his wife looked side-eyed at him? Maybe. So this is a problem because there has been this, I, I, I believe, completely intentional, completely intentional byproduct of social engineering. You have Black Lives Matter 1.0, which is the Trayvon Martin, uh, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, that whole wave. Then you have Black Lives Matter 2.0 resurrected. The golem was resurrected with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna, uh, what's her name? Breonna Taylor. It's the same thing. Breathe the spirit back into the golem. And of course, you have Trump in the background who is already contributing to the public's animus. And he happens to be white. So you have this white guy in the White House who becomes the target of derision and using Trump as a grounding cord to launch Project Gollum 2.0. And then what happens is that once we have the summer of Floyd, which is the apex of this whole Gollum moment, nobody does any time. And we've seen this again and again and again, like the young kid in Dallas who brought his gun to, sh gun to school and shot another kid because the other kid got on his case in class and more than likely it was a beef for a drug war. The kid who shot the other kid, he got out, got off. Well, I don't know if he got off or not, but he will. What about uh, Juicy Smollett? He's convicted. He's supposed to spend 150 days in jail. Six days later, he's out. This goes back to OJ. So what we have now is we have this really dangerous social precedent. Because on the one hand, we're seeing theoretically the social injustice taking place. And a certain group sees it and sees it and then on the other side of it, there's no, there's no justice, right? There's, there's no justice either way. Like there's no justice in the sense that you can go and smash um, a window in, oh, I don't know, a Nike store or uh, 
you know, a sneaker store, whatever. Like there's no real justice in that by hauling off six pairs of really expensive sneakers. There's no real justice in that. Period. I'm sorry. And there's no justice on the other side where the people who are perpetrating those acts are brought to justice and then sentenced because they've broken a law. That doesn't happen anymore. Just look at San Francisco. So what does that do? It sends a signal of enabling. And it says either it is overt or it is covert. Now, when you see somebody like Jawan Howard and Will Smith, the, the, the doppelgangers, they don't need to break into, a, they don't need to walk out of a Walgreens with $900 worth of shit. They don't need to smash the window of a, a Nike store or a, an Apple store. They don't need to do that. They have plenty of money to do that. They can get whatever they want. And yet, they, in many ways, they're resorting to the same message and the same subliminal conditioning that's taking place, meaning that you can commit murder and then you can get away with it. That's the signal that these two guys are picking up on. And then what they do is they create a culture of animus, a culture of complaint. And there's, there's no resolution for that. The only resolution is the destruction of the system. And this is, this is what the, uh, the master capitalists have done, is that they have created this Gollum-like response to so-called racism and social injustice in America, and it will tear America apart. Because once you start the Gollum, you can't stop it. And the Gollum's task is to eradicate the enemy. And even after the Gollum has eradicated the enemy, it's still around. So what does the Gollum do after that? Once the enemy has been eradicated, and by the way, to some degree, it has been eradicated. Now it starts to go after other groups and people that are outside of their circle. When I say circle, I'm also invoking the idea that a circle is a thing that a ritual operation is done in. So they are going after people outside of their circle or rather inside of their circle. The same, my bad, the same people who are part of the same occult operation, either wittingly or unwittingly, they're a part of it. Now they're going after them. Because I think for all intents and purposes, the Gollum has done its job. Donald Trump didn't win. Look who got elected. Joe Biden. Kamala Harris. By the way, Kamala Harris and Jada Smith are kind of similar some ways. Jada Smith on her mother's side is Jamaican. Just like uh, Kamala Smith, Kamala Smith, Kamala Harris on her father's side is Jamaican. 
So there's there's a whole different kind of thing going on with both of them. Caribbean. Now they're going after people inside of their own circle. Will Smith, Chris Rock. So this is what happens with the golem. The golem is out of control now. You can't control it. Once you set it loose, you cannot control it. And this is this is what we're witnessing. And I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. And I'm not here to denigrate uh, the specific group that I'm talking about. In, in fact, I'm sharing this so that they may become aware of it in their own understanding that they've created a golem. And there's a very interesting and tacit relationship between the golem and the golem makers. And I have talked about this for a while. You go back and you look at who started the NAACP. It's the golem makers. Again, I'm just, you can look it up. The NAACP was started by social Marxist, mostly Jewish, some American, quote unquote, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants who are also Marxist. I've done, we've gone down that rabbit hole. I've read the bios of the people who were very instrumental in starting the NAACP. Yeah, there's a, there's a few, a few black Americans in there. Of course, most notably W.E.B. E. Du Bois, Du Bois, who is also a social Marxist, unrepentant, and he's the one that they choose to be their spokesperson, their, their tip of the spear, their figurehead for the NAACP. And so it starts this relationship between these two communities. But W.E.D. Du Bois has nothing in common at all with, let's say, at that time, a sharecropper in the South. He has nothing in common with that person. Zero. But he's supposed to represent that person and that group. He, do, he doesn't, really. On, only through Marxist ideology would he support that person. And only if that person would then support the Marxist ideology themselves. Now, now we have a relationship. Now we have a contract. So this relationship has been going on for a very long period of time. And in many regards, has been absolutely manipulative. And, it, and I'll just, you know, be straight up. If I was black and I felt like the world was fucking me over and I had a few uh, hardcore incidents of prejudice or racism in my life. And these guys came around and say, Hey, we got a better deal for you. Jump on board. I might do it. I might do it because the other, the other system 
is not really offering me the, the type of life that I'd like. And in fact, in some ways, it's probably deterring me. Now, there are those who are, we're in that, we're in that, those theoretical shoes. And they kept keeping on. And they didn't succumb to the fact that the world was imperfect and in their, and really in their reality, pretty unfair. So why is that? Well, it's because those people had faith. And it was their faith in God and their faith in Jesus Christ, you know, their Lord and Savior and the precepts and the tenets of the Bible, which did not allow them to descend into feelings of worthlessness and envy and bitterness and ultimately revenge. Their faith kept them from falling into that trap. And a lot of people who held close to their faith were able to transcend the challenges and difficulties that they went through. Look at somebody like Bob Gibson, who was a pitcher. Went through a lot of shit. But, you know, Bob Gibson, you know, I believe was a man of faith. Like he had those principles. And did, did it allow him to, well, I don't know. Maybe Gibson did throw at a lot of, lot of players. So maybe Bob Gibson did have a little bit of, uh, maybe he did play the retribution card every now and then. But there's, there, was, there was a group. And, you know, when you listen to Jason Whitlock, he's clearly a part of that group. When you listen to Royce White, when you listen to Dave Shannon, Delano Swires, they're a part of that group. They are not looking to even the score. What they are doing is they're doing their absolute best to retain their humanity and their divinity by not falling into the prey and the trap of their lower emotional nature. And what we've seen since really OJ Simpson and Trayvon Martin is I would say the devil at work. The devil is offering up a really piece of low hanging fruit. Here, take this, take this, bite into it. It's really low hanging and you'll get, you'll, you'll get some social cred out of this. And the people who were not as anchored or rooted in their faith or couldn't see that they were being played and programmed, like, oh man, I'm in, fuck whitey, let's go. And then you see on a, literally, on a physical and material representation, people committing crimes and getting away with it. What kind of message is that sending? Yeah, that's called animating the golem that you've created and created out of the friction and the tension of these events, some of which I believe are complete and utter fabrications. So they're not even based on true injustice. But none of them are ever resolved. Even when you have somebody like Derek Chauvin, who's convicted for the death of George Floyd, well, what did that do? 
Well, that's just the beginning. It's a, it's a, it's a momentary um, somnambulant or it's a momentary soporific. And then the drug wears off and then it's on to the next thing. The ultimate goal in the communist Marxist revolution in which, unfortunately, the front lines have been um, created into this collective golem is the destruction of the West. That's what it's about. And I'm not entirely sure how this changes at this point because the golem is loose. And again, I'm not here to, to denigrate or point a finger at a specific group, but it's the specific group that we're seeing now. And Will Smith is the perfect symbol for this because he's out of control with all of his power and all of his privilege and all of his money. He's out of control. Same with Jawan Harper Howard out of control. So even those things like power and prestige and money, they're not going to be the thing that can satisfy the individual and keep the golem at bay. So we have an issue and the Will Smith thing is, I think, <clears throat> more dangerous in a lot of ways than we understand. And I don't like Kathy Griffin, but Kathy Griffin did point something out. This is really bad for comedians. This is canceling. This is going up to somebody and literally striking them in that moment. Do you think comedians are going to be um, that courageous when they see what happened to Chris Rock? It's also interesting that Trevor, Trevor, no, oh, the UPS guy is here. Okay. Is he trying to come to my door? He's leaving it here. Okay. Thank you, UPS man. Um, even so Trevor Noah has started to become funny again. He started to crack on Biden. And then you have this. Do you think that sends a little bit of a message to Trevor Noah? Oh, I think so. Does it send a message to Bill Maher? Maybe. Although Bill Maher is another Aquarian, so he probably doesn't give a fuck. So this is a problem. And meanwhile, Russia has said to the rest of the world, we're attaching gold to the ruble. You think that Russia just all of a sudden sat around saying, yeah, why don't we do this? No, this was their goal the entire time. You don't understand that you're, you're, you should be watching more of this show or other related shows that are breaking the news, right? Russia is fully engaged in playing their role to take the West down. They always have been. Always. That was their stated goal. 
Now, maybe you could have had somebody like Donald Trump who came in and, and could have kept Putin at bay, which he kind of did. But then he was you know, harassed and labeled as a Russian colluder. Russia collusion, you can't do that. Look at you, you're a traitor. So you can't create a diplomatic relationship with Russia at all. Well, that'd be a heresy. And then Biden just keeps up in the ante, right? But there was a time, a little interim period, where this was not happening. And now Trump's not around and it's all systems go. But if you think that all of a sudden Putin and the Russians were just like, hey, let's go do this. No, I mean, it's always been part of the plan. Been part of the plan to bring the United States and ultimately the West down. And we have traitors inside of our own system. I mean, especially inside of the system as it relates to the European Union, which is the most onerous beast. And I believe the European Union is the beast. It's one of the most onerous beasts that's ever been created. It is an abomination. I believe the European Union is Gog. And so they're, they're traitors. They're traitors to the own, their own Western European tradition. Because at their heart, what aren't they? They're Satanists. Alexander Dugan is a Russian. For a long time, he has been one of Vladimir Putin's uh, highest ranking consultants. And Dugan is an occultist. He is a Thelemite. He is a dark magician. And Dugan's role has been to ultimately decimate the West. So the Russians are playing a role. They're playing it pretty well. They're... They're the biggest enemy, but they're doing exactly what Joe Biden and exactly what Klaus Schwab wants them to do. Isn't that interesting? The, our whole engagement and upping the ante with Russia is forcing Russia to do things differently with the ruble, which means it's going to have an impact on the dollar. It's going to weaken the dollar, it's going to maybe crush, crash the dollar especially once China gets in the game with Yuan. In Houston, we have a problem. Russia's doing everything that the Biden administration couldn't do for itself. So when you think of Russia as being the great white hope and being the antidote to the encroachment of the, uh, the Ziocon West, you better really look at that because from what I can see, <laughs> they're, they're a wrecking ball right now and they haven't even fired one shot against the so-called Americans that we know of, not one shot. 
And the Russians have been embedded in this country for a very long time. Just go back and watch the TV series, The Americans. There are Russians who have been here and they are part of these supercells. There's plenty of, plenty of stories about Russians who speak perfect English and they're, they've got groups of them in places like Denver, Colorado. You know, back in the 70s, this all started with Lyndon Baines Johnson, who made it easier for Russians who were experiencing uh, political oppression to seek asylum in the United States. And who do you think was the beneficiary of that? It was Russian Jews. Now, Russian Christians, they couldn't come here. Isn't that interesting? If you were a Christian and you said, hey, I am having a really hard time here and I'd like to apply for political asylum. No. But if you're a Russian Jew, you could. And how do I know this? Well, I know it because, number one, it's part of the record. And number two, my parents got connected into the Russian Jewish community in San Francisco. And, you know, I'd go to parties at this one guy's house and eat some of the most god-awful fucking food I've ever tasted. Sorry, it's bad food. Bad food. And I like most food. I couldn't find anything even remotely redeeming about that food. A lot of pickled and creamed shit. I get why it's pickled. You want to preserve it. I get it. It's a cultural thing. Here's the Virgo in me. There's two the Russian food, like that version. You know the, the the chicken Kiev or whatever. That's cool. Like that's that's decent. But by and large, it's up there with like some of the cuisines of the world. I just can't stomach. The other one is Filipino food. No, not a fan. Anyway, editorializing a bit here. But that's what happened. Who do you think else got in during that wave of a refugee crisis? Oh, yeah. Probably people that the KGB sat down with, with the, you know, uh, say, look, you're going to the United States and you're going to pose as a family and you're going to be Jewish and you're going to be able to set up residence there. And there were political prisoners. There were people that were, um, Wronged, again, friends of my family. The guy, Vladimir, um, spent time in a concentration camp in Harbin. Yeah. So that's not untrue. But just like what we see when we have these other so-called catastrophes, who else gets to come in? The door is open. So we've had Russians here for a while, and they've been embedded. If you want to... See the allegorical version of this. Watch No Way Out with Kevin Costner. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you watch it. So I got to pull the uh, train into the station here because we're running out of track. It's 1037. And I always like to try to round things off so that, um, you know, we're not, we're not always left with a kind of a punch to the gut. You can go back into your day and, and 
adequately engage with the world around you. And I think the, the greatest thing that is coming out of this is that we're starting to transcend the labels and we're starting to break through the mind lock of politically correct speech. Because now we can begin to talk about these things in ways that are meaningful and without any kind of attachment. And what I mean by that is like, I'm not here to like run a racial profile on a particular group. I'm just not, but I am here to discuss this in a way that people can understand it from metaphysical standpoint, from an occult standpoint, from a mass psychological standpoint, and you could put in any group. We just happen to be talking about one particular group and how it is being demonstrated to us out there in the world. It's not something that is untrue. You can see it. I can see it. It's not untrue. So this is the upside that we can have this dialogue and that we can talk about it for now. How long will we be able to talk about it? I don't know. But spread the word, right? But more than spread the word, get clear on who you are and get clear on what triggers you and where your strings are. And if you can undo those, if you can cut those strings and you can remove those triggers, then you can communicate in a way where you're not going to be manipulated. You're not going to be Chris Rock with the deer in the headlights moment as Will Smith approaches him. All right, I'll be back tomorrow. Use your head in order to serve what's real, your heart to sit once possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Thanks for being here. Bye for now.